we dealt with the latter portion of this chapter from the 22nd down to it, including the 36th verse. And there isn't any doubt in my mind that what in this chapter is something for this day and hour. For as I was folding my notes after completion of this on Sunday evening, <coughs> overlooking some of the notes that I had written down to kind of file them away, I started to close my Bible and something more or less spoke to my heart and let just leave it open there. I've got something else in there that I want you to look at. I don't know if you people are aware that the Holy Spirit of God can move like this or not, but he certainly does. So I left the Bible open and looked at it again just before my departure to the conference and uh, closed it up and put a marker there for the intention fully of going back and seeing what God had for this. And during the conference, two speakers, one on Wednesday night and one on Thursday night, used almost identically some of the things we had already said, plus they branched out on the full entire chapter. So it would seem to me like that Christ is speaking to us from this chapter at this hour, trying to get something to us. I realize when we talk about the Holy Spirit of God moving, and we begin to talk about something that God wants to get to us, our minds begin to move along the realm of mystery and fantasy and what have you. And in this, so often, we miss the simple things that God is just simply trying to tell us that would enrich our lives and make them more adjustable to things in this world and make us more of a child of God. I feel like, especially in the realms of Pentecost, and I... I'm not against prophecy. It's a good thing that needs to be dealt with. But so often we delve in the realms of mystery until so often the young Christian is left with a fantasy looking around trying to grasp something that is happening. And so often we make something so mysterious that people get no benefit from it when actually Christ spoke in simplicity. And he spoke in a way that would help us to understand his life and how it was motivated and for us to use him as an example in our life. Now, in moving into this chapter, real good always to just walk into a chapter. Just kind of act like that you're there and that you're actually seeing and knowing what is transpiring. But as we walk into this chapter and begin to view from about the first down to it, including the 13th verse of the 14th chapter of St. Matthew, what we see and what we read and what we would feel if we were to begin to put ourselves there makes us want to turn around and walk right back out of it. Because in it we see nudity, in it we see debauchery and lewdness, we see lasciviousness and lustfulness, and we see immediately the hatred of a woman, scorned, so to speak, by the great prophet John, and we see her hatred grow so much that she has declared that by any length she is going to silence the lips of that man who has challenged what she thought was her right to happiness. 
you'll view this, you'll see that Jesus is beginning to stir up quite a fame and a name for himself. And the ruler at that time, Herod, who beforehand had laid hold on John and put him into prison, was beginning to wonder, because of a troubled conscience, if maybe this Jesus was not John raised from the dead. And then it begins to go in what transpired before this, as Herod had John, as we walk into this chapter immediately, we're faced with this, Herod had John lay hold of, had, had John laid hold on and bound and put into prison for Herodias' his brother Philip's wife's sake. Now what had really happened is John had stood before Philip and Herodias both and pointed his finger in numerous occasions in Philip's and Herodias' face and said, Philip, it's not lawful for you to have this woman as your wife. And John was a threat to Herodias. And because of that, she had bound and declared that some way she would silence the voice of this despised enemy of hers. And for years, several years, she just bade her time, just waiting. And finally, she had John put into prison. Herod was afraid to kill him because of the multitude. And finally, Herod's <laughs> birthday came along. And Herod so desired to have Salome, Herodias' uh, daughter, which was just a mere child, not much more than in her teens, to have this lady or this girl to dance for him. And her mother, who is Herodias, had immediately said, Now, he'll promise you anything if you dance for him. And when he says this, at the end of the dance, you ask for the head of John the Baptist. Now, unlike modern history, when we deal in the Bible, it doesn't hide the elude <laughs> events and distort them. The Bible tells things exactly the way it is. And if you study history on this, you'll find that this young child came out half naked and danced before the lustful eyes of a men and women so filled with lewdness and sinfulness and debauchery, and you'll find that, that a hatred of a woman for a child of God was so much that she could include her innocent daughter into a plan to destroy and kill John the Baptist. Now as we enter into this chapter and look at this and begin to see it, it turns our stomach. But yet we've got to realize that we just simply, in all actuality, walk into scenes that are happening in the 20th century of today. We see nudity everywhere. We see hatred and malice. And we see people just lying wait to get even with one another. I was talking to an uh, individual minister, and I'll not mention his name. And he said that he had had two ushers in his church to resign, asking for the excuses to why they did, it would startle you to realize what they said. They said that their reason for resigning was they were not mad at anyone. They loved their job, meeting people and waiting on people. But this is what they said. They said, we cannot, as much
as we try, keep our mind pure as we go from pew to pew waiting on people for the offering for seeing the nudity displayed by the women in the congregation. Now I want you to hear this. And I talked to another one after that who said that he had had about a half a dozen young boys come to him and say, Brother so-and-so, we cannot continue to come to your church. We love it here. We love the feeling of the Spirit. But our minds become so unpure. And we spend almost a week from the time we enter into service until we go home repenting and wondering what's the matter with us because of the nudity of the young girls that surround us all the time. In other words, they were saying this form of nudity and existing within our church. They say we see it in the world and we expect it. But we come to the house of God expecting some peace and relaxation and someplace to get our minds off of these things and it stares us in the face every time we come in to the house of God. And we cannot seem to get our minds pure when we have to look upon it at all times. I thought walking into this chapter and we see a mother willing to display the body of her daughter in order to meet an end that she had and hatred had motivated her so much. I wonder sometimes what is our excuse? What is our reasoning for the display of our body so often that lights not far much but causes perplexity into the hearts and lives of more people than you would care to realize or even know? I might add this. I say it with all the love of God in my heart. I have had individuals and young people to come and almost speak the same identical words to me as they said if we wanted to go to a burlesque show, we could go to one. We wouldn't have to come to the house of God to see it. If we wanted to see the nakedness and nudity of women as well as men, we could see it on the streets. We would not have to come to the house of God to see it. Now what we're trying to do is get to you a lesson here that Christ spoke concerning modesty and he spoke for a reason. Many times our nudity doesn't bother us so much and I wonder if you've ever considered what evil thoughts it might place into the heart of a pure mind of a man or woman that wants so desperately to rise above these things and yet they stand viewing this thing from day to day and from hour to hour. Think on it just a little bit and realize that not only should our bodies be covered in the church house, it would be a good thing if mankind could distinguish out on the streets of our fair town that individual that knows God and the one that doesn't know God. It would be good if we could realize that God, what God gave us for our covering and make us realize as we enter into this 14th chapter of St. Matthew and see the nudity on display there. And we would be quick to condemn this mother for displaying the body of our daughter for a reason. But so often, mothers, we allow the daughter, the bodies of our daughters to be displayed to the public for no reason, not even as good as this one. Praise the Lord for the host of and many times we simply do not realize the results of it. Now we think 
And Herodias got by with this infamous act. We feel like that his, her daughter got mad with this. But if you would search history, and we don't have time to go into this, you would search history, you would see a desperate end to this man Philip, to his wife Herodias, and all the vile things that happened to Salome after she displayed her body and her mother allowed her to do it. Never was her life the same. Never could she retain her virtue and from time to time, on and on she went until she was just a common streethearted and her end was worse than what I would want to describe here. Simply because of the breakdown of one mother. And as I said, this mother had a view in mind, had a reason. However unjustified it might have been, she still had a reason. That so many of the mothers of today, and you fathers are not held unblameless. So many of you mothers today allow this very thing, display those small bodies before an ungodly public, and you have no excuse, and you have no reason. And God is wanting you to know that this morning. 